and welcome to this week's episode of the Social Review Podcast. As always, I am your host, Michael, at Michael J. Borden on Twitter. And this week I sat down with Anthony Lahane from the Labour Campaign for Drug Policy Reform for a whistle-stop tour on all things drug policy. Fair warning, uh, drugs are mentioned throughout, but other than that, enjoy. So thank you for joining me today. I've got Ant from uh, Voltface Hub, or uh, the other pronunciation that I'm getting wrong, and also <laughs> he's the Secretary of the Labour Campaign for Drug Policy Reform. Thank you for coming on, Anthony. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, yeah, really delighted to chat about it, Mike, and um, yeah, very, very glad to be here. So... Obviously, I think our listeners have probably got a pretty good idea about, you know, the kind of major differences between like legalization of drugs or like decriminalization. But like for an elevator pitch, what is the kind of, you know, mission of Labour campaign for drug policy reform at the, at the minute anyway? Of course, cool. so I'll give a really brief overview of sort of how we came to be and what our role in the party is. So. Uh, we came to be at Labour conference in 2018, two whips at the time, Jeff Smith and Thangam Debonair. Um, held an event there was a huge appetite to make some movement in the party you know I'm a Labour man through and through but I've always been thoroughly disappointed with how weak Labour has been on the issue of drug policy and I think it is traditionally a left-wing issue we should be protecting the most vulnerable you know our, our policy making should be done with the values of fairness justice and equality whereas on drugs we've just been too far behind now the reason it's particularly pertinent at the moment is that you might know the UK is the drug death capital of Europe. And then beyond that, Scotland has three times the amount of drug deaths as England and Wales. So I think something like 5,000 people died across the UK because of drugs last year. Uh, and that number's rising year on year. It's completely correlatory, is that a word? It's directly in correlation to cuts to drug treatment services. Uh, and that's happened year on year again since the coalition government in 2010. Uh, and I really think that that's something that Labour needs to be needs to be pushing on. So the sort of mission statement, I guess, of the Labour campaign for drug policy is to reduce the harm drugs cause to society and individuals, to reduce drug-related deaths, to give people a second chance, to tackle racial disproportionality and stop and search. Um, and, and one thing I would like to bring in at this point is that what we really want to try and do at the moment is reframe the debate away from, you know, the CCHQ attack lines, which are that uh, drug policy is a middle-class metropolitan issue. It, that could not be further from the truth, frankly, because the people who are most affected by current drug policy are marginalised communities, people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. You know, we're looking at the Red Wall and, and other parts of the Northeast and, and Scotland that we're trying to win back. These are the people most affected by drug policy. It's not it, an inverse commage and middle class cocaine user uh, in a pub in London. So I think it's important to get the facts straight and sort of reframe the argument within those paradigms. Yeah, so I, I was going to mention the, the the kind of caricature of the of the middle class coke user because I think that's a that, that's a really popular kind of stereotype, isn't it? That this is just mm. this is something that is um, you know kind of separate to you know what's you know, the real people, as it were. In terms of like, so you've obviously mentioned Scotland there, and I, I think we could probably go on for ages about how you know if if. Scottish press was probably functioning a little bit better. Maybe um, Nicholas Surgeon would be getting a bit of a hard time about it. But we've also got the issue of the fact that we've got a Labour government, obviously in Wales. I'm in Swansea at the minute, and Swansea's obviously quite famous for having quite a big, big drug. Well, I don't want to say drug problem, but like um, mm. you know, there is there is a significant um, kind of debate around the community about that. If you're like your average Labour government or your Labour council, are there you know concrete mechanisms for them to be able to do things to reduce harm, or is it something that you know West can just kind of override at any opportunity? So this is a, this is a really good question and something I'd, I'd like to break down into a few different areas. So firstly, I'll talk about devolved administrations and the power that they have. So I guess this is maybe slightly more pertinent to Scotland and what I'm going to bring up. But um, the big debate between uh, Westminster and Holyrood 
over the last year or so has been around evolving drug policy. I don't live in Scotland. I don't, I don't, I don't take a stance on that. I don't know enough about it. It doesn't affect mm. me. However, uh, one thing that is seriously being missed from the sort of discourse is that the SNP have made almost identical cuts to that that the Tories have made when it comes to uh, drug treatment cuts. And the other way that you can influence drug policy without needing to be in government, and that's really key for the Labour camp- campaign for drug policy reform, because obviously we're so far away from an election, is that you can make quite significant changes through existing frameworks. So police and crime commissioners in England and Wales um, have the power to dictate drug strategy. Now that can go as far and does go as far in some parts of the UK, such as the West Midlands and I think Avon Somerset, uh, whereby de facto decriminalisation um, of possession is essentially in place. And the way that works is through diversion schemes. So basically you're a you know, person who uses drugs and you're caught with drugs and you, um, I'm sure you know as well as I do, that criminalising these people, putting them through the mm. criminal justice system is just not an effective way of dealing with the issue. It doesn't tackle the root cause. So instead these people are diverted through a kind of like a driving awareness course, but for drugs, you know, they, they find out, are you okay? Do you need treatment? Maybe not. Maybe you just, you know, smoking a joint in a stupid place and you're getting criminalized for that. So it's a really effective way of diverting people away from the criminal justice system. And we're seeing that in some Labour PCC held areas. There's a couple in Wales as well. I think we're going to see some movement on. Um, I won't digress too much, but other things that have been implemented at a local level include heroin assisted treatment. I'm sure if you've been you're aware of that or yeah yeah of... i mean it's, it's it's quite a big heroin specifically is quite a big thing in swansea so you've got you know yeah. a kind of a, a range of um you know safe injection spaces and things like that to prevent prevent overdoses but it's um yes it's probably the exception rather than the rule in in wales i would say yeah and there's i mean there's been huge uproar over overdose prevention facilities or, or drug consumption rooms and one thing that i found really interesting is that in middlesbrough and glasgow there's two facilities now whereby people who've had a long-term heroin addiction who are probably not going to get off heroin, but are causing a significant amount of sort of social harm, criminal harm through, you know, petty theft because they're forced to rob, to feed a habit. Um, there's a system in place in these areas whereby these long-term people who are addicted to heroin are, are getting their daily dose twice a day. And that actually has had a huge impact on drop in crime. Basically, you know, 20 people were causing millions of pounds worth of city centre damage a year uh, and that happens through local governments not through Westminster obviously we're pretty unfortunate at this moment with the Home Secretary I have to be a little bit careful about what I say because of my role at Voltfast but I would say that she's not the um, most fond of reform taking a very hard stance on it um, there was a drug debate last week um, the Misuse of Drugs Act turned 50 this year I mean it's the biggest abject failure of a policy um, and the noises coming out of Kit Mole's house, who is the relevant minister, covers sort of policing drugs, uh, weren't very good. And I think there'll be some movements, but it's really disappointing to know that you know, 5,000 people a year are dying. That figure's rising year on year. Yeah, we're doing nothing to get hands on this issue. We're just trying to talk tough on drugs and um, talking tough on drugs doesn't work for 50 years. So I can't see why it would start now. Yeah, it's really, it's really one of those policy areas where I think Every, everyone who's kind of read around it or thought about it for more than five minutes is like, well, this is clearly like by any reasonable metric, this is not working at all. You know, this is not preventing people from taking drugs. This is not preventing people from like becoming addicted to drugs. And this is not pre- preventing people from dying from drugs. At some point, something has to change. And there just doesn't seem to be much appetite from the kind of elite level of politics. Like, you know, I think they buy into probably the stereotypes a lot and and the concerns mm. and the like the and not necessarily you know the kind of knock-on concerns i guess in terms of 
you know what what Joe Public thinks. But is that necessarily true these days? I can because I think of you know I, I, the other example of this is is I, I always bring up my mum. I think she's kind of like the the, the average kind of like left of centre voter. <laughs> And yeah. 10, 15 years ago, vehemently anti-drug, vehemently kind of um, bought into kind of the kind of you know um, war on drugs rhetoric. But now she's kind of, as she works in a school, she's kind of seen like a more kind of ameliorative approach has probably worked with things, and she's like kind of softened on the issue. Is that something? Is is that just my mum changing her opinion, or is is that something that we're seeing like on, on, in, in wider terms? Um, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned your mum and having a sort of change of tact because uh, I often use my mum as an example too. My mum's um in her sixties. She is quite unwell. She's got an autoimmune disease, uh, and maybe through a different reason for being a teacher in a school, where I completely understand the sort of change in tack she started using cbd for her joints before she she never would have smoked a joint in her life no interest in drugs whatsoever very anti-drugs actually and from seeing cbd become this kind of enormous wellness product it's changed her mind completely and she swears by it i I don't know exactly what the efficacy is for her condition but she seems to really like it and i think actually some of these incremental and cultural changes are certainly having an impact on the our mum generation shall we say I don't know if boom is the right term or not but um but yeah no I, I do I do think there's a shift in that and the polling is positive too the CDPRG who are kind of the conservative equivalent to uh the Labour group some really good polling on this and I, I, I can drop over a link or something if there's a way of putting it in the description um sure. looking at attitudes toward drugs and I think there is a wide acceptance that the current approach isn't working Volfast has done a lot of polling around uh, attitudes to cannabis reform um, it's over 50% of people who support the legalization uh, and regulation of cannabis. And when we did another bit of polling with the Evening Standard, uh, what we found, which was quite interesting, I guess, from a label point of view, a little bit disappointing, but from a sort of strategic point of view, very interesting. Uh, 73% of people polled found the argument for taking money away from criminal gangs and putting it into the regular economy uh, was a compelling argument to legalize cannabis. So basically, sadly, money talks, the economic frame does seem to ring quite true. I mean, obviously that's specific um, to cannabis legalization, but some other polling was done recently around psilocybin rescheduling. So psilocybin is the active ingredient in magic mushrooms. And there's been a lot of good evidence globally so far to say that uh, as a form of treatment alongside talking therapies, it can uh, help to tackle issues like PTSD, depression, anxiety, and over 50% of the public backed a rescheduling of psilocybin to allow for further medical research. And I, I was shocked by those figures. It was done by Psylonautica and Drug Science, which is David Nutt's think tank. Um, yeah, it is really interesting. So in short, yes, public opinions are changing. I think politicians are quite far behind the public on this. Uh, and actually, privately, I don't think they are very far behind the public. You know, I, I talk to a lot of politicians and have really, really positive chats with them. And and you get to the end of the conversation, I'm not going to name names, but they go, you know, I, I fully support everything you're doing, but... I'm not going to come out and endorse it publicly because people think I'm a, you know, I'm a, a crank or hate to a druggie or whatever that is. Uh, and that's disappointing, but it's certainly changing. I know 50 MPs signed up uh, for a bill to repeal the Misuse of Drugs Act recently. So, yeah, that's pretty significant. And to give them a name drop, that was the think tank Transform who, who arranged that campaign. It's interesting you mentioned the, the, the kind of like equivalent, um, you know, conservative campaign for this or the mm. conservative grouping for this, because you kind of, you know, I, you know, I'm not, not really kind of aware in, in, in conservative circles or anything like that. I'm very much 
got the Labour Party brain and all the yeah. rot that comes <laughs> with it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> is, is there much, you, you spoke about the fact that like, privately politicians are kind of, you know, moving on the issue and they recognise it's kind of like a, an unpopular sticking point in public. But on the Tory benches specifically, you know, we're obviously in a situation where we're going to have Tory governments for quite a while, probably. You know, are we looking at the case of maybe it could be, you know, like only Nixon could go to China? Do you think there's enough of an appetite that change could happen from there? Or is it just kind of, you know, pri- private attitudes changing? I think that it takes a few to put their heads above the parapet before the, the discourse starts changing. Um, so I do a lot of press and pr bits for, for Volfast. And what I was really surprised about when I got into this space is that, uh, you know, I always thought, you know, The Guardian would be leading on the issue. They'll be, they'll be great on this because they really understand the social justice issues surrounding drug policy. But what I've actually found is um, outlets like The Telegraph and The Times, sort of centre-right, I guess, have been more supportive of uh, reform in a kind of campaigning type way too. Um, it's not just that they'll take a great scoop about drugs and, and go for an objective way. They seem to be actually quite committed to some of the campaigning pieces. And I'm sure that's particular journalists, but yeah, but, but that surprised me. And I think a lot of you know newspapers, obviously, Print newspapers are in decline, but I think they still have a huge amount of influence over politicians. Uh, Volfast ran a, a campaign with the Evening Standard in 2019 uh, called the Cannabis Debate. They slapped a cannabis leaf on the front page, you know, days and days of scoops. And, and that was really good. And again, that's another newspaper that um, politicians read. So I think that is definitely helping to engineer the change. Uh, obviously, the Tory party, you've got your social conservatives and, and your sort of more you know, free market libertarian types free market libertarian types are kind of already won over. We try and communicate to the social conservatives through kind of paradigms that they'll understand, you know, protection of family, removal of access to youth, protecting kids, you know, organized criminal gangs, taking money away, uh, which does seem to ring quite true. We just have horrible thorns in our sides, like the Daily Mail, Centre for Social Justice, Ian Duncan Smith. <laughs> um, I think I can get away with saying that. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I guess sorry, I'm giving you a really ranty answer, but I think I think public opinions are changing, and I think that there are more politicians out on the issue. Um, I'm very grateful that the Conservative Drug Policy Reform Group exists as well. We've got a very good relation with uh, relationship with them. Like, to be frank, drug policy is a uh, sadly a bit of a niche issue. It's one that will require cross-party support, and it's one that I really think. We need to work across the house with, um, you know, with our colleagues at other parties to, to save lives and to reduce harm and to tackle racial disproportionality and stop and search because all of these things are, are kind of bigger than party politics, really. Of course, if Labour of the parties to do it, that would be fantastic too. But <laughs> I'd just love to, uh, I'd just love to see some movement there. And however it happens, I, I, I frankly don't really care that much. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a really good point, I guess. And it, I, I guess it is really encouraging that you've got, you know, I, I, I guess people kind of just see it as a kind of opposition issue, but it's definitely encouraging that to hear that it's it's one of those things that you're a lot more hopeful for broader consensus with it. And you are, you know, I completely agree with you. I think it's the only the only way it's going to happen is is kind of, you know, through widespread consensus because it's it'd be such a big change mm-hmm. in if we if we go back to the kind of um you know the housecape that is the labor party um because you know kind of labor adjacent podcast of course no no You're... happy to chat labor always <laughs> you, you mentioned like sometimes that you've got kind of thorns in your side and there's obviously you don't have you know the, you've got some labor mps on side and they're going to be yeah. part of like the wider equation and obviously you know members can have the ability to to influence mps and ostensibly labor conference can set agendas 
Mm. Supposedly. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what, what's, so if, if, you know, you've got your average Labour member who's in their, in their CLP, one of our lovely listeners who, who, we, who we love and appreciate very much, mm. and they think, I, you know, this is something that I'm, I'm up for. This is something that I'd like to see Labour be more strident on or my, my MP to take it up as a cause. What is something that they could do kind of within their own constituency party to kind of get this on the agenda? So I think that obviously building momentum and getting motions together is a really uh, sound way of doing it. We at this moment in time have resisted writing a model motion we have our recommendations which we then you know we're happy to advise members who want to bring a motion together or, or you know or put up um put up speakers at branch meetings and we basically just use our recommendations our recommendations are based on consultation of 700 members across the country 12 public meetings uh synthesized by a working group of like really leading figures related to the issue so yeah getting one emotions together discussing the issue at local level i think that writing to your mp i know it sounds boring and bland but it, it does work you know if enough people particularly from the same constituency do it it does bring it to your mp's attention whether that's a you know Tory or a dem or, or a or a labor guy they're all really sound ways of doing it i think also just like talking you open about the issue is is really important and you know some people I'm not particularly libertarian, but, you know, some people take drugs and have a really bad time of it. But actually, the vast majority of people who take drugs don't feel the negative consequences. You know, drugs aren't inherently a bad thing. There's a lot of stigma attached to this issue that I think we need to break down and that will continue to help with the discourse. And I guess, first and foremost, as well, contact info at labordrugpolicy.com if you want to find out more, if you want to get involved. Uh, or have a chat about taking forward like we're, we're absolutely all ears and we've got kind of um, ears to the ground all across the country uh, we'll be doing a load more events as well and keeping active and importantly fighting on kind of incremental areas that we can do between now and uh, whenever the next general election is about three and a half years isn't it yes yeah, so something like that yeah so that sounds really good is there is there anything else that you'd like to plug um in terms of well, plug plug seems a bit um kind of uh, <laughs> transactional but is there anything else you'd like to promote on this issue um you know I, there was a report that came out last year that um a labor campaign did for on this issue yeah oh yeah <laughs> is that I'll, worth I'll, I'll a read really <laughs> is that worth a read it's definitely worth a read it's absolutely worth a read uh so i'll, I'll, I'll give a little bit of background to that report it, it was sort of masterminded if you like at the peak of Corbynism uh, everything was about the grassroots go and consult the grassroots find out what the issues are we traveled around the country uh, going to kind of non-metropolitan areas things like Gorsainen and, and Grimsby and uh, held events using kind of local members to find out what the issues were related to drugs what Labour could do through a policy framework to reduce harm to get rid of those issues so we recorded all those meetings we deployed an expert working group which is previously chaired by lord faulkner it's now chaired by uh, mike trace who's a deputy drug czar under blair um and we basically got our experts to synthesize the sentiments coming out from members to come up with a set of labor drugs policies that are fit for purpose rooted in health or criminalization um i can say that off the back of that the meetings with shadow Ministers has been really good in, a, in the most respectful way possible. I think Keir Starmer is kind of cracking the whip with messaging quite a lot. So it's been quite difficult to get to the public statements out there. Um, but I think what's really important to say is that like reform is happening. Yes, there might not be a headline, which is like, you know, decriminalization of drug possession tomorrow or, you know, cannabis is legalized tomorrow. But we're seeing loads of harm reduction measures brought in. We're seeing de facto decriminalization in certain areas, uh, heritage treatment, you know, albeit grey market overdose prevention centre in Glasgow, 
uh, it, it is happening. Like it's it's absolutely happening. So it's it's an exciting time to be honest to be in the drug reform space. Just as I say that, a siren goes past. Um, yeah, it, it, it's an exciting time, and I think that uh, I know with my Voltfast hat on that there's a number of exciting developments coming along in the next couple of months. So hopefully we see some movement there. Yeah, it's it's a good time to be in the drug reform space. I think it's a really important, pertinent time to get on board with it. First and foremost, we need to reduce drug-related deaths, and you know everyone deserves the the right to a life and and the right to yeah to, to live and breathe. Yeah, I think a lot of people see those with uh, issues related to drugs as kind of subhuman, and, and that really needs to be tackled. And that should be Labour's position to get a grip on that and start championing uh, you know human rights essentially. Well, I think as sentiments to end on go, I think that's probably as good as any in that Labour needs, you know, <laughs> let, you know yeah, I, um, but yeah, so thank you, thank you so much for coming on, Anthony, and thank you for, for that. Um, you can check out, I think the, I don't have, the website apparently is down, so you might need to sort that out at some point. Oh, is but it? You, okay, you, I know, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's only can, been in the last 24 hours or so, I'm okay. sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can follow uh, the Labour campaign for drug policy reform at Labour Drug Ref on Twitter, and also you've got, uh, I think it's at the, I'm going to get the pronunciation at Volt Facet. No, I, Volt Fast Hub. Yeah, you Volt got it. Fast you got it. Hub, there we go. T E F A C E H U B. Hub yeah, on yeah. Twitter. And you can also follow uh, Anthony <laughs> at, at, at Ant Lahane on Twitter as well. So, That's uh, me. yep. Thank you for coming on, man. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, thanks so much. I really, really enjoyed it. And yeah, hopefully some Labour characters get active on the issue as well and uh, there will be some good. another episode of the social review podcast huge thank you again to ant for coming on as previously mentioned you can check out some of his work at at voltfast hub and also through the labor campaign for drug policy reform i can only speak for myself of course but i found today's interview particularly interesting as it's just one of those areas that we don't see covered enough in the kind of mainstream press as well as this i think it's one of those areas that the labor party really needs to do better on so if you enjoyed this week's episode, please drop us a retweet or a share on the social media platform of your choice. And if you have any questions that you'd like to put to the social review team, you can at us on Twitter at SockReviewPod, or you can email us at the address SockReviewPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and have a fantastic rest of the day.